0: My
1: favorite, my favorite children's book told indigenously.
0: Wait, can you stand back up again? Wait, is that like a? Is it like Columbus?
1: um, Yeah. Yep. It's where the wild things are, but the kid is talking about Columbus's ships and terrifying the monsters.
0: (laughs) And then the colonizers came, and And the nightmare began.
1: Yes, right. That's exactly right. Wait, who made that shirt? Um I think it's Natives um N 8 Oh yeah yeah I don't know who that is Yeah or I, I yeah. don't know who that is but I know of that Is that 8th generation? No. No, it's just I think it's just Natives. Okay. Um but yeah super cool. I was so excited about this shirt and your earrings are absolutely I know. Serious. So this is for this is to entice people to watch the YouTube recording of this episode.
0: <laughs> we don't have advertisements on the Power Hour, but we are, Elaine and I are both wearing some uh, native artist bling. I'm wearing some rowdy, massive earrings, um, land back earrings. Thank goodness they're made out of resin, so they're very lightweight. But I got these bad boys for like 25 bucks, which is a steal at Birchbark Books, which is Louis Erdrich's bookstore here in um, the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. And so... I was like, what should I wear for RPH today? And I was like, oh my God, I'm going
1: to rock these earrings. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. And, mm-hmm. and I have to, I want to give a shout out to like, um, the urban, um, native era. Uh, I have one of their baseball caps, which I'm not wearing right now because I don't wear baseball caps when we're recording indoors. Um, but Willie Jack was wearing it on Res Dogs, and she has several colors, which makes me jealous. I feel like I need to get some more colors of that baseball cap. Whirly <laughs> really Jack is my favorite. I noticed, Monty. okay,
0: this episode is not about Reservation Dogs, but full disclosure, Elaine and I talked, most of our prep today for this episode was talking <laughs> about season two of Reservation Dogs, which dropped last week. There's two episodes in for the second season, but we're not going to record an RPH episode on that until the entire season is done. So you're going to have to wait for like a month and a half or so for that, Yeah. but...
1: Yeah, and, and Willie Jack is so my favorite character that I named one of my cats after her. <gasps> we, we got a little kitten from the Española Animal Shelter, and um, we named her Willie Jack. And, yes, just love Willie Jack. Okay, I'm copying that
0: because I'm getting a kitten um, <gasps> for my new home in the Twin Cities, in mini So I've uh, been trying to think about the name. Willie Jack is uh, pretty perfect.
1: Willie Jack will have a cousin in the Twin Cities. Then <laughs> there'll be one in one in Oga and one in uh, in uh, that would be great. Yeah, a great name for a cat. That is a great name for a cat. <laughs> Willie Jack. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. Yeah. So, uh, welcome back to Red Power Hour, everyone. Um. I have my, my comrade, just. this is Melanie, first of all, this is Melanie, Melanie Yazzie, co-host of Red Power Hour. I am tuning in today from Makoche, otherwise known as like Minneapolis, St. Paul area. Uh, my comrade Justine told me uh, that every time I hop on a meeting for like Red Media or Red Nation, it's usually like three to four weeks in between the meetings I'm on. She's like, every time you come on a meeting, you're like, yeah, I just drove a thousand miles to go do this thing, and, like, and now I'm in a completely different place. Uh, the same is true. I don't remember when recorded, like a month ago, maybe, our last yeah. RPH episode, but I have indeed driven about 2,500 miles <laughs> since we last recorded RPH, um, but I'm happy to report that I'm not doing that any longer um, for the foreseeable future, um, finally relocated, and Ready to start teaching, actually, in a few weeks at the University of Minnesota in my new job. So um Woo-hoo. I don't have a table yet, so I'm sitting on the floor <laughs> to record this episode, but you know what? Okay. This is what I do for the people. I'm here. I'm always down um, for Red Media and the Red Nation, but you want to introduce yourself, Elena?
1: <laughs> yep. This is Elena Ortiz. I'm calling in from um, Ogapogie, otherwise known as... Occupied Santa Fe, a.k.a. Mordor, Um, and it's becoming more Mordor-like the closer we get to Indian Market. Um, The, uh, yeah, town is impossible right now, swarming people wearing giant pieces of silver and turquoise and cowboy boots that cost as much as my car. Um, Not a good time to be in Mordor right now, but... Oh,
0: I forgot that. Yeah, that's happening, but... Um we didn't organize anything this year but maybe we can next year. But um happy Pueblo Liberation Day, is that what it's called? August 10th, right? It's up coming up? Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. Pueblo Pueblo Liberation Pueblo Revolt Day is Pueblo coming Revolte. up and and uh and it's been raining um for those of you who have followed us for the last couple of years um it's been really tough in the pueblos because we have not done a lot of dancing um, ceremonies that have taken place have taken place behind closed doors. Um, And, and uh, so uh, we, we collectively, a lot of the Pueblos really started um, dancing outdoors again, um, starting, I think with, with uh, Isleta or no um, Laguna in March. And we've all been dancing Taos Pueblo is now open again and so we've been dancing our little hearts out, and it's been pouring like literally rainstorms every day, and just it went from very hot, very sad, very brown and um and dry to like everything is green and beautiful, and it's cooler, and it's just been it's been wonderful, so
0: oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, when I was down there in Albuquerque about ten days ago, it was like it was hot. It was just like bone-crushingly hot. You just go outside and it just punches you in the face, kind of hot. I was like, "Dang!" So,
1: yeah,
0: I'm really glad to hear that. Um, well, cool. Uh, what are we talking about today? Okay, first of all, first before we talk about the thing we're going to talk about, I just want to let folks know that our next RPH episode. Uh, in, which we're going to record in two weeks will be about the movie that just dropped today on Hulu called Prey. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but this is the new Predator movie, but it's like very indigenous. A lot of it is in the Comanche language. I guess they had the, a premiere, like a Comanche premiere somewhere in Oklahoma last night or like last week or something or over the weekend. Um, and the protagonist is an indigenous young woman who apparently is the Neon Lakota. And so Elena and I are both going to watch that tonight. <laughs> In the comfort of our homes. Um, and then we're going to invite some comrades on to do kind of a breakdown of the whole, the whole movie, uh, for our next Red Power Hour episode. So if you're interested. Can't.
1: I know. I'm so excited.
0: Uh, if you're interested in hearing that, like that episode will drop in a couple of weeks. Um, but today we're going to talk about something not as fun. I mean, we're going to talk about the apology. Yet another apology, um, to indigenous people, uh, by the Pope. Like last week, right? And um I think it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. I I don't even I was like, Oh, this is happening. Goes by. And everyone was like, This is a big deal, and I was like, This is some bullshit. <laughs> I just did it. This is some bullshit. <laughs> but we figured um we needed to do a somewhat freewheeling, semi uninformed <laughs> episode about it. It just I don't know, a lot of opinions. Lot of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've been like moving and you know on the road and stuff like that, so I don't have time to watch like an hour and forty-five minute video of the Pope like apologizing and then all the weird pageantry. But I watched about an hour of it um, in between, and what I saw was, I don't know, just kind of like embarrassing. <laughs> is the right word? It's just a lot of men. A lot of men like prancing around in feathers um I don't know preening in front of the pope which uh, you know like who wants who wants to see like
1: that? like a bunch of peacocks like a bunch of peacocks
0: yeah, yeah a bunch of native man peacocks
1: mm-hmm. and and um and then for those of you who um are not living in in a hole you probably saw that um, one of the Cree elders gifted the Pope, um, a headdress with eagle feathers. And, um, that, that caused quite a kerfuffle, um, amongst Native peoples. Um, I don't pay attention to like white mainstream press, but among Native peoples, um, Indian country today and, um, some of the other, um, news, um, news outlets, uh, talked about it. And, um, so there's a lot of really intense feelings around that. Um, and Melanie and I were talking about this earlier, like I come from a culture that doesn't do a lot of headdresses and, um, wearing of eagle feathers. And that's just like, the Pueblos in general, um, except during ceremonies or dances. So from my perspective, the gifting of something like that to a non native, um, is not appropriate. And that's, you know, that to me stuck out. There are a lot, a lot of people who have stronger feelings. Um, if, you just want to go the legal route like no one except native people are are actually legally entitled to possess eagle feathers so that was kind of fucked up um (laughs) yeah like what else you gonna say (laughs) about it that was fucked up (laughs) that was pretty fucked up And, and and i think and i think that like Melanie hit on that, like the pageantry and the prancing, um, because the Pope is some, you know, big deal among um, some of these communities that he was visiting to make this apology. Um, Some of these communities, like my own, have always been hardcore Catholic, and it was a big deal. Uh, I have strong feelings about that personally. And again, if you've listened to Red Power Hour, um, you probably know I despise the Catholic Church and like I, it has done more damage to my people and my community, um, than anything else. It established, you know, a heteropatriarchy where there was not one. Um, it created, um, they created, uh, schools. Um, and, and, um, we know what happened in many of those schools. Uh, I got a lot of this distaste for the Catholic church from my father who used to say that, you know, he was, he grew up so poor. Um, they, the priests would come out and round up all the kids to go to church because the church was right there in the center of the Pueblo. And half the time they didn't have money to pay for shoes and so the kids would all go into church barefoot. Um, and then they would pass around the offering tray. And if they didn't have something to give them, they would whip the bottom of their feet. So here are these kids that are so poor, their families are so poor, they can't buy shoes. But if they don't have money to give the church, they will have their feet whipped. Um, and so I, my personal experience with the Catholic Church is is, is wrought in, in these stories of what they did to our people from the very beginning of colonization um, and and continues to this day with the boarding schools and the pedophile priests who, you know, not too long ago, we're talking 20, 30 years ago, they were sent to New Mexico. they were sent to Jemez um, near the Pueblo, um, the, the, the pedophile priests were sent there, um, to rest before they got relocated to a new location where they could abuse more children. Um, so we have, we have a really, um, you know, fraught, fraught history with the Catholic Church and, um, and the Pueblo Revolt, which our celebration of that will be coming up in a few days, was fought to rid ourselves of the church. And so I see indigenous people um, accepting apologies, empty apologies from the Pope and the Vatican. And my first reaction is, you know, you're every single indigenous person there um, and who agrees with what they did is dishonoring their ancestors um, who died to preserve our culture, and to pass on um, our culture to our children, and to keep our our communities alive. Our ancestors died fighting the Catholic Church, and you think it's okay to gift him with an eagle headdress? To me, I find that despicable, and I find the apology hollow um, until they're willing to offer, like, Major billions of dollars in reparations and land back because let's not, you know, let's get right to the bottom of it. the Catholic Church is the wealthiest organization in the world. They are the largest landowner in the world. So if you all want to still, you know, worship Daddy OJC and the spook, that's your business. But like the fucking church needs to start giving some shit back, like major shit back because That's bottom line. Did you just say daddy OJC and the spook? Yes. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Okay. Uh, Apparently that needs to be the title for, I I don't know. I don't know if that's (laughs) offensive that I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not Christian. I wasn't raised Christian. I don't, I don't know if that's blasphemous or whatever, but that was fucking hilarious. First of all, that you just said that. (laughs) Um, but also hell yes. I agree with everything you just said. Um, you know, I was trying to, I was listening to, uh, uh, what was his name? The, the person, Chief Wilton Littlechild was, uh, the, the first, uh, person who got up and spoke. Um, he did like the invocation and the welcoming for the, the pope's visit. And he was also the individual who put the headdress on the pope. Um, but he, uh, he was talking, you know, he was talking about like how the Pope's visit to Canada came to be, right? And it was this delegation. I I, I remember this, a delegation of in, in, indigenous people, First Nations people, boarding schools or residential school survivors, children. It was like an intergenerational delegation went to the Vatican. Um When was that last year? I don't remember when that was, but they essentially invited the Pope to come to indigenous land in Canada um, to engage in a process of what was it? It was truth, justice, reconciliation, and healing. Um, those words kept being used constantly by by the men, <laughs> the indigenous men and the Pope man um, who were talking. And so uh, right after he spoke, there was a, a healing dance. Um, the the drum circle, the drum group was playing, and then there was a dance. Um, indigenous folks were dancing a healing dance. And this individual, Little Child, Chief Little Child, um, first of all, is a dignitary, very involved in the United Nations work, clearly like a very well-known figure in, in Canadian indigenous kind of politics. But uh he was has served or did serve for a long time as a commissioner on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And of course, if I hope people know what the TRC, like is the acronym for that is, um, we've been very critical of it on Red Power Hour, like a lot of indigenous people have been very critical about the truth and reconciliation industry, um, in Canada, but, um, he, it's not a coincidence that this man, right. That this indigenous man who has a lot of political power, um, is heading up or represents like the truth and reconciliation machinery of Canada. Um, which of course, like, as people like Glenn Coulthard and Leanne Simpson and many others have pointed out, uh, is like a politics of recognition that doesn't always materialize in real kind of like material um, reparations like land back, right? Or like what you're saying, Elena, um, Catholic Church being like the wealthiest entity in the world <laughs> actually, um, has a lot of resources that it could uh could could put towards reparations for all the violence that the genocide for for genocide. But what I'm saying is that it's the reason like the pageantry behind this, the I don't know, the gestures towards healing, this notion that somehow, like, we have to invite the Pope and we have to welcome the Pope, um, make him feel really at home. We have to treat him like a dignitary, um, big daddy, big daddy Pope, you know, um, and genuflect and parade in front of him. That I I feel like uh, we've seen this before throughout the last 15 years of, like, the Truth and Reconciliation era in Canada um, with mostly men, it's mostly like native men um, in leadership positions, probably band council versus like grassroots kind of traditional leadership. Um, really like genuflecting to to big daddy power, whether it's like the nation state, um, the government, Trudeau, you know, um, the prime ministers of Canada, or people figures like the Pope. And I just I said this during the last episode uh, that I was that I recorded for RPH a month ago, but. God, just like two years ago, because of the, the land struggle, the Wet'suwet'en land struggle and the hereditary chiefs and the women who are on the front lines of that struggle, they declared like two years ago that reconciliation is dead in Canada. And it's like, weren't you guys listening to them? Like don't, don't these like, uh, you know, don't these like, uh, parading native men listen to the women who actually have real authority? And are on the front lines, like actually protecting the land. Like why are you, why are you prolonging the lie, <laughs> the lie of reconciliation when it's been so thoroughly critiqued? And I think it's been so brilliantly critiqued and actually it's been counteracted by so much of what's happened on the ground in like frontline struggle that's primarily being led by women and like two spirit and youth from your, from your nations and from your communities. And here, like, this big news story is splashing across the world. It's on BBC. It's on CNN. Right? Like, everyone's, like, watching the Pope apologize and watching these Native men, like, prance around in feathers and fringe for the Pope. And it's just like, read the room, you know? Like, I, I don't really think this. It seems, like, incredibly out of step with where, like, Native people are at. And especially right now. In the United States, where we're coming to terms, finally, there's like some actual honest public discourse about the egregious genocidal violations of the boarding school system here in the U.S. Thank goodness Deb Holland actually issued a report or whatever. Um, But that actually only happened because of the activism primarily of Native women as well over the last 20 to 30 years to bring that issue to light and to have someone actually do something about it. But I don't know, the Pope's apology and all of the pomp and circumstance around it, it just felt like, you know, just felt like the state congratulating itself and patting itself
1: on the back. Um, it just seemed like a, like a heteropatriarchal shit show. Like, seriously, they don't show, you were talking about and like they don't, they don't show um, the women being arrested, violently arrested by the RCMP because that doesn't make good press. But this made great press and it was broadcast all around the world. And um, to my mortification, you know, that that here are these men, you know, basically representing um, the pain and trauma and genocide of the Catholic Church. Um, and and they're accepting an apology and gifting him. And eagle feather headdress, which is going to mm-hmm. sit in the Vatican vaults along with every other indigenous piece of, of religious um, um, icon iconography or or um, regalia or religious artifacts that are sitting in the Vatican vaults right now. That's going to go right into the Vatican vault. Along with everything else. And it just makes me, it makes me sick. It makes me really sad. Um, because it's, so for the first time, the Pope did say genocide. He did acknowledge the church's cultural genocide. And like genocide is genocide. It's, it is, just, it's a standalone word. You don't get to attach another word to it. Um, it's genocide and he acknowledged the genocide, but you know, where are the reparations? Where is the land back? Um, where is the opening of the vaults and the returning of all of these things to Native nations and indigenous peoples all over the world? Um, things that were stolen, that were raped, that were pillaged. Where are the billions of dollars in reparations for the survivors of the boarding schools? But also, um, for the survivors of the, the survivors of the boarding schools and ongoing um, intergenerational trauma that, that, that has been caused. And people brought up too on social media, um, repeal the doctrine of discovery. And like I, I used to believe that um, repealing the doctrine of discovery was an important step um that was a long time ago, and now I'm just like, the Catholic <laughs> Church. Um, but I think, but I, I do think that, um, that it's important for Indigenous people to know that, um, the doctrine of, this, so all y'all, it, it's like, if there's any of you who are still under some, some delusion that, um, the United States of America was founded on the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and the separation of church and state. I got news for you. The Doctrine of Discovery was a papal bull that was issued. that basically gave um, European nations, Christian nations, the right to um, plunder, pillage, rape and um lay claim to all land that was occupied by non-christian people read the rest of the world um and and it was used as a basis for um law in the united states so a papal bull issued by a pope in the 1400s 1493 is actually the basis of law in the united states of america so that kind of violates this whole idea of church and state um, and has been used to steal um, all of Turtle Island from Native people. So, yeah, repeal it. Um, that would be nice. And then give us, like, all the land back, like, from sea to shining <laughs> sea. And while you're at it, give all of the land the Catholic Church now owns back. To the original indigenous inhabitants of that area. Like
0: not just here, like everywhere. That would
1: be good. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, the, I think like, uh, I've been very inspired by the folks who have talked about and done work on the repeal of the doctrine of discovery. And that is a noble effort. Um, I, but I think that like, the circumstances, like the historical circumstances has maybe shifted and we're now in the land back era, right? We're now in a, a an era where we're talking about decolonization and reparations in like a very tangible way. Um, I would say even though that's not necessarily happening, that is what we're talking about. And that is the demand that's unifying indigenous struggle in Turtle Island. That's what's on the table and so I think, like, the empty symbolic gestures of reconciliation that have been a part of kind of the liberal recognition industry for the last 15 years, Um, this is why I was saying, like, read the room, like, that shifted already. And so something like this happening in 2022, mm-hmm. after so many Native people have died from COVID, and, like, um, you know, like, we were talking about the Supreme Court decisions in the U.S., the, the June 2022 Supreme Court decisions – um, the RCMP rating constantly, Unistoten camp and Wet'suwet'en, like things shifted already, like indigenous struggle and indigenous kind of grassroots expectations have shifted. And so this kind of thing doesn't really land the same way I think it did maybe a decade ago, even like pre-standing rock, um, kind of moments. And so I think moving forward, right? What you can't change what the Catholic Church did. I don't know. I didn't listen to all. I, I Sorry. We had to start recording and I had to set up my little makeshift studio here on the floor. <laughs> in my new house. <laughs> um, i like hydrate. Before we recorded today, um, I couldn't finish the Pope's actual speech. I was about, I think, maybe halfway into it. But I wonder if he like used the word rape to describe what the Catholic Church was doing mm, like 20 years ago <laughs> to Native children in um, Catholic-run boarding schools. Uh, you know, the fact that the relocating of pedophile priests from parishes, let's say on the East Coast, like in Boston, which is infamous – For them, um, relocating them to parishes close to Native communities in places like New Mexico. It's not like those priests were in recovery. They were like actively praying on Native children at that time too. And that's like a, that's like a practice that still happens today (laughs) is my understanding. So I don't know how you apologize for like something that still is happening, right? Which has like been a very common critique of people who are like well colonialism and genocide isn't something that happened in the past right colonialism and genocide are like a structure like that that continues to inform and shape our present moment and our present tense like as indigenous people and so how are you going to apologize for something that is ongoing right and so if we understand the catholic church to be i mean i don't know probably one of the most powerfully predatory purveyors of colonial violence and genocide historically and in the present. And if we don't like stop them from continuing to act as such, um, then they're going to continue to do that in the future. Then that might help us to reframe like, what should we actually do about the Catholic church um, when it comes to its predatory relationship like, it's definitively predatory relationship with Indigenous nations, particularly with women and children, particularly, and probably also LGBTQ 2 folks. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that the, the question of land back or, like, the demand for give land back that you took, um, throw resources at, not throw resources, but just, like, put resources towards indigenous people don't build programs for us. Just give us the money and we'll figure out what to do for better or worse with those resources. But those are important things. I think that can be an actual, a real gesture of some type of reparation. But I think there also needs to be like a real stance. Like there needs to be a stance against (laughs) Catholic church and like an honest, several honest conversations and like policies about the fact that they continue to prey on our people and unless we're willing to engage in like self protection and self defense against the catholic church in that way in addition to demanding land back and in addition to demanding like reparations i don't really know if they're going to stop doing what they do um i don't know if like the 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 incidents um or the what do you call it like the frequency of um Acts of pedophilia has decreased in the Catholic church, um, simply because of like the amount of public attention and pressure that's been placed on the church. You get what I'm saying? Like the Catholic church owns the world and it has like 1 billion, um, people who, who are Catholic. What do you call those converts? No, um, parishioners. See, I don't know. I don't know anything about Christianity. I'm so sorry. (laughs) There are 1 billion people who belong to the Catholic church in the world, right? that's that's a powerful that is a powerful institution um that doesn't really have to do anything except apologize for stuff right and so how do you how do you force an institution that powerful that continues to prey on you and your people from how do you stop them from doing that in the future it, that that should be a serious question in anyone's mind, don't you think
1: it, it should be and it should start you know, where, where anything um, that is going to be successful starts with the people and with realizing like in my community um, and in, in many Pueblo communities um, the Catholic church was imposed upon our ancestors the same way um, a patriarchal system of government was imposed. And the two went hand in hand and, It's, it's been like that since the 1500s. Um, the men who benefit the most from, um, having these patriarchal, heteropatriarchal institutions in power are the ones that are the least likely to, to speak out against them. And I have heard everything from, and all from men about how our ancestors made a covenant with the Catholic church. Like what the fuck is a covenant? You know, it's like something in the Indiana Jones movies, you know, <laughs> that shit puts in and it kills Nazis. Um, so what is this covenant? What, it, where did it come from? What does it mean? Um, when, if it is a thing, it's caused more harm than good. So how do we let it go? How do we make a stand? The church, is not allowed any longer to um, to act um, in in our communities. Um, if you want to believe, and you know, yeah, if you want to believe in God, if you want to believe in the whole the whole Trinity, Daddy o, JC, and the Spook, that's your business. But the church is an entity. The church is not faith. The church is not God. The church is a business. It is a corporation that just like a corporation that, that creates deadly chemicals and puts them in our water and kills us and um, makes us have um, genetic abnormalities and we pass those down to our children and grandchildren and people die of cancer. That's what the church is. And how would we stop that? if it was a tangible um, harm like a chemical spill or something like that, because that's exactly what it is. How would we stop it? Well, we'd hold them responsible. We would sue them. They would have to give us lots and lots of money and they would have to give all of the families who had been harmed by this toxicity, lots and lots of money. Um, and that's how we need to treat the Catholic church. Like, um, if you want to believe in, in God and all of that, that's your business. That's your faith. It's a personal thing. But the church is a business. It is an entity that is used for mechanisms of control. So that has to be addressed in our communities. And it has to be addressed first and foremost by the people. But we need to hold our leaders accountable because they're the ones who are benefiting from this from this corporation that is in our communities and we need to toss them out. And I think I read, um, from Comrade Nick that, um, there was in, in, uh, uh Lakota territory. It in Pine I, Ridge. I just glanced that I didn't read it completely thoroughly. It was in Pine Ridge, um, that there was a pamphlet that was being circulated that was, um, I don't remember what, what it was entitled, but it was, um, questioning, like Leonard Peltier and, and other um, Lakota um, religious leaders and that community tossed the church the fuck out of there. Like get lost.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to refer to that. Um, I believe the Oglala Lakota tribal council um, passed some sort of vote last week. I think it was last week um, ejecting like predatory missionary work. Um, off of the reservation. And I was like, hell yes. <laughs> like, please, please, if like other indigenous nations could follow suit to do that. Um, Cause, so yeah, I, so there's that, right? We can actually leverage tribal sovereignty. Uh, again, tribal sovereignty is only as good as what we do with it. Um, and use that as a form of self-defense and protection of our people against, um, the predations of not just the Catholic church, but like a lot of the different Christian sects that just have like prayed so much on our people, um, over, over the the centuries, (laughs) over the centuries to collect and hoard our souls. Um, but the, and then we can sue the Catholic church, right. And utilize that, those resources and the money, um, to build up things that are like life sustaining and reinforce language and culture for our people, but it would also seem that um just really like dismantling heteropatriarchy in in our tribal government structures but then also kind of like in our social relations with one another seems pretty instrumental um i think to kind of like breaking the the control that uh the church has over you know like everything in our lives our very identities like the kind of sex that we have right uh who has power and who doesn't the just the Really intensely violent hierarchies that exist in a lot of our communities that are based on gender, especially based
1: on gender. Um, and so. And who has control of our own bodies? I mean, um, women d- don't have sovereignty over our own, our own bodies. And oftentimes, um, our LGBTQ2 spirit um, relatives don't either because, um, Sexual practices are outlawed, actually fucking outlawed by, by states. Yeah, it's just disturbing. It's disturbing. I mean,
0: the truth is, as you said, like, there's this fiction of liberal democracy that somehow there's a separation between church and state. And, you know, as a person growing up as a young, like, indigenous kid growing up in public schools in places like Arizona and Colorado, like, I never saw a separation between church and state. Like, in the United States, this is a Christian nation. And if you are not Christian, you are questioned. You are often interrogated in public institutions. If you don't swear on the Bible in a courtroom, <laughs> right, or if you don't pledge allegiance to God in a classroom, then, you know, you're kind of a public enemy. And people are like, what the hell's wrong with you, you heathen, you know, kind of thing. You're an outcast. And so um, generally speaking, uh, if we're going to have kind of like an anti-colonial or a decolonial perspective or a framework The very basic premise of that is that you question the kind of the authoritarianism of something like Christianity in a place like the United States where the doctrine of discovery is like the literal foundation. It's the literal foundation of conquest. It's the literal foundation of colonization. And so you should question, at the very least, you should question it and preferably you should challenge it. You know, everywhere that you see it, it rearing its ugly head, whether it's like in your community, whether it's in your bedroom, <laughs> whether it's in your kitchen, right? Um, whether it's in like your classroom and things like that, uh, because I always experienced Christianity, and not not like the not not people of faith necessarily. Like I think we need people of faith for the, the upcoming struggle. Like we need revolutionaries need to be people of faith. And you can be, your faith can come from anywhere, but you need to have faith, right? You need to have faith that things will change. You need to have faith in the will of people and the goodness of the world and the goodness of people. So I'm not challenging anyone that finds a really positive element of faith in Christianity. I'm talking about the institutionalization and basically the authoritarianism (laughs) of Christianity as like a hegemonic force in our lives as indigenous people, but pretty much everyone in the United States. Um, Really, because this is a pretty much like a mandatory Christian nation. And so you should push back against that if you have any kind of sense of kind of indigenous identity, I think that is kind of paired with or embedded in a decolonial or an anti-colonial politics. Um, And the fact that that doesn't always happen, I find very disturbing. Or like, it's usually Native men who are in leadership, um, really being like apologetic for the church. Um, This notion of a covenant, that's weird. See like even that language is kind of like creepy?
1: <laughs> it's very creepy and it's all, it almost like reminds me of those those weird ass men's clubs oh, and secret Ivy societies at universities like wasn't there one at Yale skull like and sc- Bones. Skull and Bones and that all of those those presidents the Bushes belong to and, you know, they were, oh, at one point, didn't they, I'm digressing here. I'm going off. The skull of Geronimo. It, didn't they once say they had the skull of Geronimo? Yeah. I mean, like, I, and I actually absolutely agree with what, what Melanie said. Like we need people of faith. And if your faith is found in, you know, the teachings of, um, comrade communist brown Palestinian Jesus, then that's, you know, that's great. Um, but the church yes. is an institution and the church is, is harmful. I, I, you know, I was raised in a Catholic, um, in an area where Catholicism has deep, deep roots, but there's crazy ass churches all over, um, the, the Dené lands as well. And, you know, there's like hardcore, oh, hardcore, um, tent revivals and, and snakes <laughs> and shit, um, that, that happen. And yeah. Um speaking in tongues, you know the hardcore um evangelicals, and they there's a lot of those on the on the dene res I see the tents when I'm up there, and they do weird, weird stuff i don't I don't i think that's mostly like circus and um not real faith, but um, the men who benefit the most um from um these these institutions these heteropatriarchal institutions are the ones that need to snap and realize that, you know, for the, if you're really, if you're really interested in the, the good of the people um, in, in um, helping your people, the church is not helping. The church has never helped. It's done nothing but harm and harm in such a way that it's um It's destroying future generations, and that's what pedophilia does. And it always attacks the marginalized communities. In New Mexico, it's not only the native communities, but it's all people of color, and they're all the marginalized, the disenfranchised. They're the poor brown people that suffer the most because nobody will stand up for them. And that's why um, the servants of the paraclete, which was the place in the Jemez that they sent the bad priests, And, you know, they said it was rehab. It's not rehab. It's to give them time for things to settle down and then they can move them to someplace else where they can prey on more young, poor, usually people of color. Um, And that, that needs to change. And those, those reparations, you know, billions, we're talking billions of dollars because it's, it's all over Turtle Island, um, both so-called Canada and the so-called United States that, that, uh, Land back and major, major money. And then while you're down there in the vaults trying to find the money to pay us back, give us all that other stuff back. Like give us the feather headdress and, uh, give us the, the things you stole. We want all that.
0: So I found a map actually of someone created a map of all the Catholic properties. And I'm just looking at like the, within like the so-called, the boundaries of the so-called United States. It's called goodarchive.curbed.com, But anyway, and it breaks it down between, like, cemeteries, chapels, convents, schools, hospitals, missions, monasteries. Holy moly. Centrist parishes, retreats, senior homes, universities, and miscellaneous. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a lot of different categories of property. Um, that's the most I've ever seen. But um, if you look at the map, it's like, there's just, like, it just covers everything. <laughs> Honestly, it just looks like... It just kind of blankets North America. Um, and so that's the extent. That's the extent of the wealth of the Catholic Church in Turtle Island alone. Imagine what that map looks like worldwide. Uh, and you know, we always say like there's no shortage of resources. It's just like the ruling class hoards the resources while the millions of people perish. And you know, it's, I know that a lot of people, you know, think that churches uh, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, will go out and do charity work amongst native people. Like they'll do community, they'll do feeds on the streets in a place like Gallup with unsheltered people. Um, or they'll go out and do, yeah, it's just charity. The notion of charity is heavily attached to Christianity, um, and to the the institution of the church in general. Um, But something, you know, we've critiqued very heavily as the Red Nation, especially in the context of reservation border towns where churches proliferate. Like, churches love border towns (laughs) because they can come in and collect souls and collect money to do charity work for Native people. And meanwhile, they don't change the structure of ongoing genocide at all because obviously they're, like, benefiting from it. Um, But the thing is, like, the thing about churches doing, like, the good work of charity, right, is that charity isn't, charity is something that allows churches to continue to, like, justify their existence in these spaces because churches will be like, look, we need tax-exempt status, you know, because we do this charitable work for these, like, poor Indians, you know, these poor Indians who don't have enough food, these poor Native children who don't have, like, a bed to sleep in, you know, all of these things. And so it's like a self-fulfilling type of thing where it really is an industry. It's an industry where churches are essentially acting as like pseudo. I don't know what that was. I think that was my doorbell. I'm so sorry. I'm in a new house. I don't know what that was. But (laughs) where churches are acting like um, pseudo-governmental entities providing social services and social goods for communities, primarily poor communities of color, indigenous communities, like you said, Elena. And and so they get, like, tax breaks for doing that, um, but then they also, kind of like the truth and reconciliation process, get to, like, pat themselves on the back and be like, listen, look, look at the good work that we do in this community. We're not predatory. Like, this community needs us. These people need us. But, of course, they don't talk much about the fact that every social good that they hand out, or every social service has, like, a Bible attached to it or it has like some sort of missionizing that's attached to it.
1: Right? Where it's like Or that they're or that they're operating on stolen or land. Or that they're
0: operating on stolen land. Or like why did they come to a border town like in the first place? It's because they're like, oh, this is a place where people are really poor and desperate. We're gonna be able to collect souls and we're gonna be able to make a lot of money doing it. This is the truth. And I'm sure not all churches operate this way, but Fuck, man, you go to the eastern side of Navajo, you go to places like Farmington or Shiprock, you go to Gallup, there's a church on every corner. There are way more churches than there are community centers for our people, than there are homes for our people, or apartment complexes for our people. I'm sure folks have heard, like, in movement spaces, it's like solidarity, not charity. Like, mutual aid typically kind of operates on this notion of solidarity, not charity, because we're not interested in being charitable, because that's really just about like propagating kind of like this, the pseudo governmental kind of aspect of both non large nonprofits or foundations, corporate foundations, but also churches, um, they would fall into that category. But part of the other thing that we would have to actually be doing more actively um, by we, I mean like grassroots people, um, folks who are really engaged at the community level is we actually need to be providing the social goods and the social services that the church is providing. Um, the church out-resource, I mean, like the Catholic Church is like one of the most powerful institutions in the world. Of course, like they're going to out-resource us at every turn. But in our communities, we can provide some of those social goods and social services, you know, and so can our tribal governments, frankly. And so that we can actually like create a relationship with our people that the church doesn't get to step in and be like, look, we're providing these essential services for Native people because um, their own their own nations, their own governments can't do this for them. Um, which then, again, is like how they justify their they're preying on our people in this way and justify this like just kind of like their never ending presence in everything because churches will fund c- candidates for tribal government seats. They will fund delegations to Israel, you know, crossing BDS picket lines like churches like they do with the Republican Party and, and any other aspect of American politics. Churches influence, like, the political futures and trajectories of indigenous nations as much as they do other elements of the American
1: political system. Right? Because they have money and power. They have money and power. And if you think that, that there's any law that's restricting, um, like the, the church, I don't know about the other churches, but I do know the Catholic Church, they got around the idea of, um, not for profits. Um, having to legally stay out of politics by creating another arm of the Catholic Church called Opus Dei, which is um, one of the most powerful and well-funded political action committees in the world. And yes, they do interfere in elections, national, local, um, tribal, um, in order to advance the candidates that they want to see um IE tribal um politics in order to make things easier for the Catholic Church and really like you know when you think about charity um if it was really a charitable endeavor you would go into a community and you would say what do you need and how can i help you get it you would not you know if 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 you really wanted to help people in indigenous communities Build a sweat lodge, um, teach them the, um, or not teach them because the church would have no way of doing that, but encourage them to learn traditional ways, encourage the the language. Um, everything that the Catholic church did does in, in, with the word charity, um, it all comes at a cost. It's nothing's free. Your cost is, is your soul and losing your connection to your own people. And that's what, what I think our, our tribal leaders don't understand is, is, uh, you know, we've literally sold our souls to, to the Catholic Church in order to, um, to have, we're actually giving them free access to our children. But it's true. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, not only, yeah, but the pedophiles are one thing, you know, but also they, they have summer camps and, um, they have, they, they are indoctrinating our children. I'm telling you
0: that word indoctrination, right? Which I so heavily associate with the church. I, I mean, that's like, that word is like paired with I'm just going to use the term again, authoritarianism. (laughs) Like, if we're trying to decolonize, like, we actually have to be thinking critically about how we actually decolonize, you know, from the indoctrination in the holy church (laughs) of the the church, you know, um, that we've all basically been fed since we were born,
1: since we were born since we were born and and it 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 affects every aspect of our lives and i remember when my kids were born and you know i come from a family that's heavily catholic um except for thankfully my father um and my everyone wanted to know when i was going to baptize my children and i said my children are not being baptized in the catholic church because they were not born with sin, and people looked at me like that's that's weird. Like, why would you not baptize your children? Because they weren't fucking born sinners. You know, they were born pure and innocent, and and you know, just little indigenous babies who were not going to be forced into a church. And um, we did things the native way. And and even even in you know in this contemporary time where more people are turning away from the church and back to um, native spirituality and native life ways, that was, that was a pretty big deal. And I want it to get, I want us to be at the point where that is not an issue that, that um, the church is not so heavily involved in our day-to-day lives that people even question that, like that to me um would would be a little bit more freedom. It yeah, that's
0: freedom. true. Cause you're right. Like the church really is completely like enmeshed in our everyday lives. Whether we're Christian or not. And I don't know. Yeah. If our aspiration is like liberation and freedom for indigenous people, we pretty we gotta tackle this one. And I know it's like a really I know it makes people very uncomfortable to tackle this one. Um but that's just the truth, right? Um, even whilst I have, like I said, I, I believe that there is an indispensable role for people of faith, of any faith, uh, in the revolutionary struggle mm-hmm. to come. And I respect, you know, people's faith and the way that they practice their own spirituality. Um, as And people of faith are not predatory. I don't appreciate the people who are predatory (laughs) with uh, religion, not with faith, but with religion. I've been very, or like super judgmental. Oh my God. I have relatives. I have, you know, I've encountered hundreds, maybe thousands of people throughout my life, including many native people. There are so-called traditionalists who are incredibly judgmental. And I don't know like predatory, even with it, they, they kind of turn that into a religion, which I also find really offensive, but it's like, could you not push your shit on me? Like, I don't push my shit on you. Like it's that kind of stuff. It's like the missionary kind of, on um, the missionizing stuff, the proselytization, that shit really bothers me. And it bothered me from the time I was a kid. I was like, do not tell me what to do. Do not tell me what to think. Like I will make those decisions for myself. Stop trying to indoctrinate me. Like, I'm a free-ass Indian. (laughs) I will think about this the way that I want to, and I will make my own goddamn decisions. And 40 years later, as a grown-ass woman, I am still that way. But I really, like, a lot of what I've encountered in terms of, like, Christianity, especially, like, fundamentalist, Christianity has just been, like, in your face, like, telling you you're a piece of shit if you don't believe this way. Just, like, just trying to shove it down your throat and if it's not being shoved down your throat, you're like being manipulated in small ways into like participating in it. And even from the time I was a kid, I I I I give this to my parents for teaching me this like this know how, but just like smelling bullshit from a mile away and just being like, no,
1: <laughs> I will not drink your Kool Aid. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, it's true. It's, it, it's, it's absolutely true. And, and, you know, I, I went, I, I absolutely like agree. I mean, I was, I was 12 years old in Mexico and I, you know, I was raised a Catholic. My father stood aside, let my mother take us to church, get us baptized and first Holy Communion and all that. I have the pictures to prove it. I didn't burn up, which really surprised me. Um, but, uh, in that little white dress, in church, eating the blood of white Jesus. Um, But uh, I was in in Mexico and at a church in Tosco outside of Mexico City. And it's this gorgeous church in Tosco. And you walk down this path and there are children and older people, um, people with physical challenges on makeshift crutches, people who, look like they're starving, um, who have, you know, clear facial, um, deformities that, um, that they just looked like no one cared about them and no one paid attention to them. And they're making these little pinch pots, um, and selling them for, you know, a peso or five pesos. And I was 12 years old, walked into the the church and the church, the walls of the church are gold, And there's jewels and there's jeweled, um, chalices and everything is gold and silver and bejeweled. And I remember walking out of that church along that line of these children and these older people, um, and we got out and I asked my mother, I said, why, why are there, you know, back then you said beggars, why are there beggars? Um, when the church is, is full of gold. And my mother said, that's just the way the church works. And, Ooh, yeah. So we get home after we spent months down in, in the um, South, in the South lands. And when we came back um, to New Mexico, and my mother tried to take us to church. I refused and um, she wanted to know why. And I said, I refuse to be part of an institution that um, will allow their buildings to be paved in gold while children are starving in the in the front. And my father was not listen. He was not part of the conversation, but he was listening. And my mother started arguing with me. And uh, my father just turned to her and said, she has made her argument it is this was my father because he was an academic it is a reasonable argument and she does not have to go to church anymore it was the one time that my father actually stood up and overruled my mother on the the matters of church and so i didn't have to go to church anymore Um, and it was a pivotal point in my life because i think it was the first time i was allowed to To challenge that authority um, and it made me realize that not everything that I was being fed was correct, accurate, good, right, just appropriate and it's it's a you know question everything, read the history. Um, question always question because this is not a good thing for our people it is not a good thing for our communities um, it's not a good thing for our children it's not a good thing for our elders and we have to find a way you know of ridding ourselves of this parasite this giant blood sucking parasite uh well, now that we've committed
0: our blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> the week? I didn't know if I'm using that word correctly. This is what I meant when I said we were going to have a slightly uninformed, and by we I mean me, um, a slightly uninformed <laughs> like opinion dump about the the Pope's apology because I don't even understand, like, Christian language. I, like, I've never read the Bible. Like, I seriously... I'm seriously, like, the least expert on Christianity from, like, an insider's perspective you could possibly find. You pagan! I Yeah, I really am. <laughs> I really am pagan. I'm a heathen, proudly so. Like, yeah. I grew up in, like, a very, very non-Christian... <laughs> never pursued it as an adult even out of intellectual curiosity it was just never uh never my jam so I hope I've provided I feel like I've rambled a lot today I'm also just like very tired just because like I've been moving my life nonstop stop for months but I hope I offered something useful <laughs> a useful perspective I feel like you are much better Elena just because you like you just know more I think you just know more about this than I do
1: no, I think you provided a, a, a huge perspective on, on, um, you know, the history and the, the, the difference between, like, decolonization, um, and with s- still having the church, I mean, the church has to be, that has to go for decolonization. That's what I, I'm getting from you. The church has to go, you know, in order to truly decolonize because it is, it is an institution that stands in the way of true decolonization. And if that's what we're looking at and land back, the church has to go. And that's what I was, I was riffing on once you said that. Well, I mean, there
0: are a lot of Native people who are Christian and who attend those churches. And I'm not out here trying to like, I'm not trying to be the person that a lot of people have been, Christians have been to me, which is just being like, my faith, my religion is better than your religion kind of thing. Like the conversion kind of bullshit or the missionizing. That's not what I'm trying to say about like indigenous spirituality. Like it's better. I'm just saying churches should be regulated. Churches should pay taxes (laughs) to indigenous nations. They should not be allowed to participate or influence political decisions that indigenous nations are making. And they, they shouldn't just be, like you said, they shouldn't just have like free reign with our children. You know, it's really like the way that, like, we'll circle back to the actual topic of today's show, the Pope's apology, just being welcomed, like, with open arms, carte blanche access to our people, like, our destinies, our future, like, our souls, like, enough, enough with that. Like, let's at least pare that down a little bit, okay? Because we don't really give anyone else... (laughs) How do we give any other entity this kind of power over us? That's really what it's about. It's like, what? Stop giving the church so much goddamn power over us. Like, why, why is that still happening? And like, you know, just, just put some like limits on that, for example. That's kind of all I'm asking. Or like, let's build really robust, beautiful, grassroots organizations that are premised indigenous values that can do the work that can replace charity. Right. So let's do that too at the same time that we're like defending ourselves and protecting ourselves from the predations of the church and like challenging the power that it continues to hold over us. Like, that's all I'm saying. I don't, that doesn't need to be like a, a totalizing or like a, you know, a crazy project um that stigmatizes christianity in our communities i'm actually not interested in that at all it's just like do something
1: (laughs) and 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 i you know i and and along with that yeah not i i don't want to um stigmatize or criticize or judge because i was judged a lot so y'all can do whatever you want um you want to you know follow the teachings of the Catholic church, that's great. They just need to give us land back and money back big, 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 big money and uh, release everything that's um in the Vatican vaults. Give it back to us. Those are my conditions. I, uh, yeah. And I think those are reasonable conditions and also like
0: heteropatriarchy and like the justifications for, for men, yeah. or it's just men just like using the church to just stay in power and to also have power over us, like, also, that he's knock that shit off. Like, enough of that, and too. Another, like, read the room kind of situation.
1: Well, and it also has contributed to extreme sex negativity in Western cultures that is so, so fucking, um, devastating and harmful, um, to all people, um, whether you choose Um, heterosexuality, you know, to define your relationships or whether you're non-binary or LGBTQ um, or pan poly, whatever, sex negativity as established by the Catholic church with these stupid fucking rules that they have has just been devastating. So let's cut that shit out too.
0: Basically what we're saying is like real justice. which requires real material reparations in the form of land and money and resources and just freedom. Can we just have some goddamn freedom from like the domination of the church and the domination of heteropatriarchy in our lives? We just want to be free. We just want the, yes. we want the We want some justice and we want some goddamn freedom. Cause aren't those two right. essential aspects of liberation in general? Yes. So that's all we're saying here on red power hour in a very wayward fashion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't once say burn it down. Well, you just did. So I'm really glad. Okay. And, and burn it down. (laughs) Burn
0: it all down. (laughs) I'm uh, very glad that made it into the episode. Um, We're at an hour and 10 minutes. We, we riffed for the whole length of this episode, Elena. I'm proud of us. Uh, I was going to say no, we can stop here. We can stop here. There's some other news, but I can like we can sprinkle it in to future episodes. I'm um I'm excited to watch Pray and to be able to do some of that stuff um instead of watching yeah. Actually, I think the video of the whole event surrounding the Pope's apology is probably the same length as this movie. <laughs> predator movie i would much rather spend an hour and a half of my time watching this movie than watching like an actual thing <laughs> happened
1: <laughs> and think about this and if the predator was actually at the pope's visit then we wouldn't even be having this conversation <gasps> because he would be gone wow if the predator were real well actually a lot of people would
0: be gone well okay Whatever. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I have a strong feeling that either the predator is gonna like join forces with the indigenous people to take out some settlers, or like I don't know, like you know that that would be an incredible outcome or like a conclusion to this yeah. movie, or or the indigenous woman protagonist is gonna defeat the predator, which is also pretty fucking cool. But yes. it's literally it's a movie about a predator about predators and we're just talking the Catholic Church is a predator right and so they're related they're
1: related they are related take our word for it <laughs> next time we're going to tell you how <laughs> in an hour <laughs> and then approximately
0: an hour and 15 minutes but uh That's right. I believe we're also going to record a bonus episode soon deconstructing and probably mostly just shit talking um, dark winds the Tony Hillerman TV re, it was not a
1: remake interpretation. It is. It's been, it's been remake. I mean, this is a remake. Um, the, it was a movie with Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, um, did Robert Redford produce like some of those other like yeah. past Tony Hillerman things from like the nineties yeah. and the early two thousands. Yeah, they were just, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, this one the, yeah, this, this is a different version of it, but. We'll see. All right. Well, I actually haven't watched it yet just
0: because I've been too busy, but uh, be on the lookout. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, please consider that. Go to patreon.com and look up Red Media. Um, if you join, you can join for as little as a dollar a month. Then you can get access to our bonus feed where we do things like talk shit about Dark Winds. Um, we talked shit about 1883 before. Like, you know, this is kind of partly what we do in addition to providing, you know, opinions <laughs> 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 in the world? Uh, But thank you again for joining us, everyone. Um, Happy Pueblo Revolt Day.